I'm going to invite you to stand with me if you would today. And we've got a two-week interval here uh, between, uh, well, I was going to say two weeks. Actually, next week we're going to begin our uh, observation of Advent. Uh, but we just finished off Galatians. And I had a couple of weeks there where I wasn't tied into another series, and so I was praying that the Lord would lay something on my heart for our congregation in these uh, this week and next week. And with that in mind, I'm going to be sharing from a passage in Ephesians chapter 4, and I did not put a PowerPoint together for you this morning. We're going to go old school, and so if you're taking notes, I'll try to really emphasize every point that I make, um, but just want to immerse ourselves in the Word of God this morning and take a look at what the Lord would say to His people, to His church, from a text found in Ephesians chapter 4, and I'll read for us beginning in verse 17. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, And that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we do thank you today for your word. We thank you for the power that it is. That it is alive and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. We thank you that while it is Beautiful, it is poetic, it is not merely classical literature. It is your inerrant, infallible, inspired, authoritative word. Use it by the power of your Spirit to drive it home into the recesses of our hearts and minds today. And there may it bear eternal fruit. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I want to speak for a few moments this morning on the subject... Thankful for sanity. This two-week series is subtitled, Thinking Clearly in a World Gone Mad. Because we, unfortunately, live in a world that has gone mad. You live in a world that is mad. The evening news, the internet, news articles on the blog carry weekly stories of events Court decisions, legislative bills that from a Christian worldview are morally bankrupt and irrational. At a time when we are making great progress in the world of science, there is at the self-same time a catastrophic decline in ethics, religion, and morality. In the world of genetics, the human genome has now been mapped. We also understand that human beings have 23 pairs of chromosomes in each cell. That the sex chromosomes make up one pair of the 23. Males have one X and one Y 
chromosome. Females have two X chromosomes. Males and females are different at the cellular level. Every cell in the male body contains a Y chromosome. Every cell in the female body contains two X chromosomes. Males and females are different. The male and the female brain is also different from each other. The differences are seen in its processing, in its chemistry, in its structure, in its activity. With regard to processing, the male brain has seven times more gray matter for activity. The female brain, ten times more white matter for activity. The male brain excels in task-focused projects. The female brain excels in multitasking. So ladies, don't get mad at us when we're watching football and don't hear you say our name. We're not multitaskers. With regards to chemistry, there are differences in the levels of the neurochemicals in the male and female brain. The male brain has significantly more testosterone up to 80% more in utero. It is bathed in testosterone. The female brain has more serotonin. Testosterone is related to aggression, physical strength, makes us fidgety, hard to sit still, more physically aggressive. The female, more serotonin. It's easier for them to relax, typically. Easier for them to sleep, typically. It also produces more oxytocin, which is a chemical directly related to relational bonding. We're different. Regarding structure, the male brain is on average 10% larger. The female brain, however, has a larger hippocampus, which is the memory center. The female then also has greater sensory input and recall. That's why my wife can tell me not only what she wore on our first date 32 years ago, but what I wore. I can't remember what I wore yesterday. She can tell me what she wore. The male brain has the verbal center largely contained in the left hemisphere. The female brain has verbal centers bilaterally. Both centers, both hemispheres. The male brain tends to excel in spatial skills, while the female brain tends to excel in memory and language. We are different. And the fact that I even have to say that this morning is a crying shame. The truth is, men and women are different. Our brains are different. Our reproductive systems are different. The balance of hormones and neurochemicals in our bodies are different. Our chromosomes are different. We are different down to the cellular level. Different. And for millennia, conventional wisdom has known that men and women are different. How ironic that now, in this age of so-called enlightenment, our modern culture says, well, you know, men and women are virtually the same. You have to have a graduate degree to believe that. That's ridiculous. 
Boys are expected to sit still for eight hours a day in a classroom. Girls are expected to take up arms and join men on the battlefield. Men and women are not basically the same. They are different. Created to be different and to be complementing each other. To be complementary in their relationship. For millennial or for millennia, conventional wisdom has said there are two sexes, male and female. Those sexes are referred to as genders. But modern culture says gender is fluid. That gender has nothing to do with sex. That it's all about how a person feels. But according to the Bible, there are two sexes. Male and female. Genesis 5, 1 and 2. In the day when God created man, He made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female. And He blessed them and named them man in the day when they were created. I want you to notice something. God created the various species of animals, male and female. But He only made the distinction as a point of reference when it came to speaking of human beings. He didn't say... God made the gorillas male and female. God made the horses male and female. It was a given. But because of His wisdom and knowing how we are so good at botching the most conventional, simplistic of things, He made the point thousands of years ago in the Scriptures to let us know, oh, and by the way, you are in fact male and female. That's what you are. I could say so much more on that, but I won't. There are not a half dozen genders. There are two. Male and female. To say otherwise is to disregard conventional wisdom. It is to ignore scientific evidence. And it is to attack the veracity of the Bible. And yet, that is precisely what modern culture is doing. Ignoring the uniqueness of the sexes is but one manifestation of our world gone mad. Recently, the European Parliament introduced proposals to outlaw titles, outlaw titles stating marital status such as Miss and Mrs., so as not to cause offense. It's ludicrous. A school in Seattle, Washington, renamed its Easter eggs Spring Spheres, To avoid causing offense to people who do not celebrate Easter. A school in Lincoln, Nebraska advises its teachers to not use the pronouns boys and girls so as not to offend students struggling with gender identity. It's ridiculous, it's absurd. Are there people who suffer with gender dysphoria? Of course. We should be compassionate. We should do everything we can to help them. What we should not do is ignore science nor the Word of God in order to enter into a lie. We speak the truth in love. 
All of this underscores the fact that we are living in a culture that by and large has adopted futility of thinking. That's what Paul talks about here. The futile mind. The futile mind. He says, don't live, don't walk like the Gentiles do. So who is he talking about? Well, this word Gentiles here is the word ethne, which means heathen nations. Those who don't believe in God or those who believe in idols. Gods that are not the true God. He says, don't live like them. So how do they live? Well, they live in hopeless rebellion against God. That is how they live. A rebellion that impacts how they think, how they feel, and how they behave. But if we're going to understand what it means to not live as the Gentiles do, we need to consider where they live. Their realm of existence. The Bible calls it the domain of darkness. And at one time, all of us lived in the domain of darkness. All of us. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2 says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. So those who live in the domain of darkness live as sons of disobedience, dead in trespasses and sins, excluded from the life of God and darkened in their understanding. So he says in verse 17, walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk. Don't live like those who live in the domain of darkness. Don't live like them. And the darkness in which they live is deep and thick darkness. They're not simply living in shadows. They're living in a spiritual domain that is devoid of spiritual light. The domain of darkness. There's a foreboding picture of this that was given to us back in the book of Exodus. You'll recall that the children of Israel were held captive in Egyptian bondage and in slavery. And God had sent Moses to be a deliverer, Moses to be a savior, one that would release them from Egyptian bondage. And then in the 10th chapter of Exodus, we see through Moses, God delivering his people from the despotic hand of Pharaoh. Ten plagues of judgments are sent against Egypt. And the skeptic says, well, isn't that overplaying it? Isn't God a God of love and mercy? Ten? Really ten? Yes, ten. Ten, because if we were to take the time this morning, we could show that each one of these plagues was a direct affront against an Egyptian deity. God was showing that He and He alone is the sovereign of the universe. He is the Creator. Well, the ninth plague was a plague of darkness. And so Exodus 10 and 21 tells us, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the sky, 
that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even a darkness which may be felt. A darkness which may be felt. This darkness was not a solar eclipse. This darkness was not some sandstorm that came blowing in off the desert. While the Egyptians were in utter darkness, the children of Israel continued to have light. This was a supernatural phenomenon. The Bible describes it as a dark darkness. That there was no trace of light. They could not see one another. There was a total absence of shadows. Utter darkness. The kind of darkness that will drive a person mad. Gives us an alarming insight into those who do not believe in God. Who though they have ears, do not hear. Though they have eyes, they do not see. Their minds are shrouded in the deep, thick darkness of spiritual ignorance. This is what Isaiah was talking about when he said, For behold, darkness will cover the earth and deep darkness the peoples. This is the desperate condition of those who don't believe in God. The condition that we were in before God saved us. Our minds were darkened by Satan. Our wills were held captive to the lusts of the flesh. Our hearts were darkened by sin. You see, according to the Bible, there are two realms of existence. The kingdom of light that is characterized by spiritual understanding, moral clarity, compassion, contentment, satisfaction, and fulfillment in life. That is the kingdom of light. But then there is a second domain, the domain of darkness. A domain that is characterized by spiritual ignorance, insatiable cravings, impurity, and cruelty that can never get enough. One of their pop songs, constant craving. That's no way to live. Never being satisfied. Never finding fulfillment. Really? That's how you want to live? With a constant craving? Never get enough? Human society is immersed in spiritual darkness. In 1 John we're told the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. And then in Revelation we're told that Satan is the one deceiving the whole world. Fallen humanity is trapped in the domain of darkness. A thick darkness manifested in sinful error, moral absurdity, and situational ethics. The domain of darkness is real and it is pervasive. It's a land of shadows and gloom. It is, this, it is the dwelling place of the spiritually dead. A place of confusion. A place of destruction. A place of depravity. And because only two domains exist, every person is either in the domain of darkness or in the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God. Paul says we Christians used to be in the domain of darkness. 
But God rescued us from the domain of darkness. He transferred us to the kingdom of the dear son that he loves and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Can you say amen? The old songwriter said, Once like a bird in prison I dwelt. No freedom from my sorrow I felt. But Jesus came and listened to me. Glory to God. He set me free. Set free from the domain of darkness. And welcomed us into the kingdom of His dear Son. The kingdom of light. For God is light and in Him there is no darkness. Neither shadow of turning. You see, in His fallen state, mankind dwells in a domain of darkness. He is, according to Ephesians, a child of wrath. Dead in trespasses and sins, living in the lusts of the flesh, indulging sinful desires, enslaved by the prince of the power of the air. Why does he have a constant craving? Because nothing will satisfy the human soul but the presence of the eternal God. And so if you do not know God, you will search until you wear yourself thin. Looking for something to satisfy the inner longings of your heart. But you'll never find it apart from Him. God alone satisfies the creature that was created in His image. We aren't mere beasts. We aren't the brutes that that eat the grass of the fields. We are people. Human beings created in the image of God, endowed with a very spirit as the Lord breathed the breath of life into us. Human life is in a category all to itself. Even the angels of God were not created in His image. Mankind was created in the image of God. Male and female created He them. Peter does not want you to believe that. Peter wants you to believe that there's no difference between a cockroach and an eight-year-old boy. That both have equal value in the universe. No, friends, they don't. Man alone, male and female, were created in the image of God to bear the glorious image of the Creator. But all have sinned and fallen short of that glory. The image has been shattered. The disastrous effects of sin impact every area of the human experience. According to the Bible, the man without God has his mind blinded by Satan. His conscience has been seared. His will depraved. His behavior corrupted. Now, does that mean that we are as evil as we can possibly be? No. But it means that the evil that has infected us has infected every aspect of our lives. So that even when we do good, it's only by God's grace that we do it with pure motives. Otherwise, peel back enough layers and we find some selfishness in there. Do we not? Fallen nature is thoroughly infected with the devastating effects of sin. In our text, Paul highlights the negative impact of sin on the mind of man. Again, verse 17. 
Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. So those living in the domain of darkness walk in the futility of their mind. So what does it mean to walk in the futility of the mind? Well, it certainly does not mean that all non-Christians are stupid. It certainly does not mean that all non-Christians lack common sense or they are childish simpletons. So what does it mean? It means that when it comes to answering the great questions of life, the man without God has no plausible, logical, rational answers. None whatsoever. You see, human philosophy cannot answer, where did man come from? Human philosophy cannot answer, why is there suffering in the world? Human philosophy cannot answer what is the meaning of life. Human philosophy cannot answer is there life after the grave? And most telling of all, human philosophy cannot answer why is there something rather than nothing? Why? The human philosopher apart from a knowledge of God, is philosophically incoherent. And so many of them are silent. And those who dare to give a response give answers that are irrational, inconsistent, and logically absurd. I'll give you one example. George Wald, professor of Harvard, an evolutionist, who doesn't believe his own theory. Listen to what he said. Quote, There are only two possibilities as to how life arose. One is spontaneous generation arising to evolution. The other is a supernatural creative act of God. There is no third possibility. Spontaneous generation that life arose from non-living matter was scientifically disproved over a hundred years ago by Louis Pasteur and others. That leaves us with only one possible conclusion, that life arose as a creative act of God. I will not accept that philosophically because I do not want to believe in God. Therefore, I choose to believe in that which I know is scientifically impossible, spontaneous generation arising to evolution. End quote. Dr. George Wald, Professor Emeritus of Biology, Harvard University. Wow. In the domain of darkness, the futility of the mind should be thought of as being on a continuum. On the one end, floundering futility. On the other end, moral madness. Floundering futility, moral madness. And all who are in the domain of darkness fall somewhere on the spectrum. Gentiles, those walking in the domain of darkness, walk in the futility of their mind. Futility, this Greek word, it means useless. Empty, lacking in content. The empty mind is incapable of morally rational thinking. Incapable of it. Why? Because it has no true north. 
No, no true north. What do you mean? For people to believe that evil exists, they must believe that good exists. If you have no good, you have no measuring rod to say this is what is evil. How do you know what is evil? Because what is evil is measured by that which is good. In order to have that which is good, you must have a moral law. In order to have a moral law, you must have a moral law giver. You see, if you admit there is evil in the world, then in order to be logically consistent, you must also admit there is a God, a transcendent one who stands above time and space. He is the moral law giver. And it is his definition of that which is good, which tells us that which is evil, that which is morally bankrupt. And so on the one end, you have floundering futility, a sense of emptiness, life without purpose, a nagging sense of meaninglessness. People that are in this condition of floundering futility tend to avoid the serious questions of life. Why? Because they have no rational explanation. And so rather than dealing with the, with the gut-wrenching, gnawing-at-me emptiness, I just distract myself with all sorts of entertainment and I ignore the truth. That I don't know why I'm here. I don't know the meaning of life. It all seems futile to me because I get up, I go to work, I pay the bills, I go home, I go to bed, I get up, I go to work, I go home. And this cycle repeats decade after decade until finally I die, they bury me and forget about me. What's the purpose in that? There is none if you don't believe in God. But then again, believing in God is an inconvenient truth. Because believing in God means I am responsible to the moral lawgiver. And I know there has to be one because there's a moral law which tells me what is right and what is wrong. What is good and what is evil. And then on the other end of the spectrum is moral madness. A lack of an objective moral standard where every man does what is right in his own Eyes. And this vain, godless, atheistic philosophy is what led Adolf Hitler to murder millions of Jews. And if that weren't bad enough, Marx and Stalin and Mao Zedong murdered more than Hitler under the name of Socialism. Guilty of murdering over 100 million people last century. The bloodbath in the 20th century, more people died in combat than in all recorded history to that point. And this is progress? This is progress? This is a world without God. That's what it is. A world that has said, God is dead. 
as the secular philosopher Nietzsche said. It's the implementation of situational ethics with no personal responsibility. It rejects the notion of evil. And so all immoral activity is blamed on circumstances. And so people will say things like, well, poverty is what makes people steal. No, friends, poverty is not what makes people steal. Sin in the human heart is what makes people steal. My grandpa and grandma Pratt were very poor, never had indoor plumbing, lived in Hazard, Kentucky. He was a coal miner who died of black lung. They were dirt poor. And by dirt, I mean dirt floors. But they loved God. And they were people who knew what it meant to be morally righteous. Poverty doesn't make a thief. Sin in the heart of man makes a thief. They will go on to say violent crime is always the result of mental illness. No, no it's not. In fact, I would make an argument that much, if not most, mental illness is the result of the human mind deprived of all hope. And so it begins the downward spiral that leads to increasing depression and irrational thinking. And I don't think cognitive psychology is too far behind proving that point. I was talking about the depravity of man in one of my psychology classes a few weeks back. And I proved the depravity of man using a study from psychology back in the 1960s. Didn't even have to open up the scriptures. I just, I just opened up their psych, scientific textbooks and said, here it is. What are you going to do with that? What does that tell you about human nature? And the students sat there with their jaws in their laps. Said, see you Friday. <laughs> turning the soil, breaking up the fallow ground, breaking up the hardened hearts that have been hardened, hardened with a, fut- a futility of mind. And so it says, we will fight to save the whales while advocating for abortion. Does that make sense? It will say that gender is fluid and malleable while at the same time saying, oh, except sexual desires, those are genetically fixed. How can you have it both ways? They will say there are no absolute truths, which in itself is a logical inconsistency, for that is a statement of certitude. To say there are no absolute truths, You just made an absolute statement. So what causes futility of the mind? The answer, spiritual darkness. Verse 18, their minds are darkened. Darkened. John 3, 19 and 20 tells us the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus said, The eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is clear, your whole body also is full of light. But when it is bad, 
Your body also is full of darkness. Watch out that the light in you is not darkness. Wow. You hear the wisdom of Jesus there? He begins with this uh, illustration taken from our physicality. And then he turns right in the middle and uses it as a, as a spiritual metaphor. Make sure that the light in you is not darkness. You see, friends, not everything that passes for light is light. Not everything that passes for truth is truth. There are many philosophies in our world that are false. Many theories that are deceitful and bogus. The Bible tells us quite plainly that Satan comes as an angel of light. He deceives people with arguments that sound compassionate. Arguments that sound caring. Socialism sounds compassionate. It just leaves people dead broke and starving to death. Go to Venezuela. That's what socialism will do for you. Sure sounds compassionate. People are deceived by arguments that sound progressive. They sound enlightened. But they are false lights that blind us to the truth. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So be careful what you read. Be careful what you listen to. Be careful what you regard to be light. Because if it is not of Christ, you will be filled with darkness. He is the light of the world. He is the power of God and the wisdom of God. In Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, according to Colossians 2. You see, without God, there is no wisdom. You can gain a lot of understanding. You can gain a lot of knowledge. You can earn a lot of academic degrees. I am certainly not opposed to academia. I'm opposed to academics. People that put their trust in their knowledge without wisdom because they don't believe in God. You can apply yourself to learning, but without God, you will not have wisdom. You won't understand how to apply the knowledge that you have gained. For Proverbs 9 and 10 tells us, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Why do I serve God? Well, I serve Him because I love Him. And I serve Him because I fear Him. That the day will come when I alone will stand before God and give an account for my life. And on that day, I will be prepared. But it won't be because of works of righteousness that I have done. It will be because my sins have been cleansed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. Our great God and Savior who became flesh and dwelt among us. That He is Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. He is the great light that shined in the darkness, but the darkness could not comprehend it or overcome it. He came to His own, but His own didn't receive Him. Yet to as many as received Him, to them gave He the power to become the sons of God. 
Hallelujah. I will stand before Him pure and holy with a holiness that is not mine alone, but it has been imputed unto me because of Jesus Christ, the Holy One of God. I'll be ready to stand before Him. Nothing in my hands I will bring, but simply to His cross I will cling. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. The sacrifice of God's Son. He is the wisdom of God. And the Bible tells us that the foolishness of God is greater than the wisdom of man. So without God, there is no wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs tells us. And then the psalmist says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. The fool. You can be a PhD and be a fool. Be a fool. Gained a lot of knowledge, but have no idea how to apply it. No working wisdom, for there is no fear of God. The man who does not know God lives in the domain of darkness, unable to comprehend spiritual truth, excluded from the life of God. As a result, they are filled with stubborn unwillingness to believe the truth. Hearts that have become hardened and calloused, left with an incapacity to feel shame or embarrassment. And so in verse 19, Paul says, they have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Why? Because they're starving and they're trying to fill the hunger of their hearts with anything and everything that they can fill it with. G.K. Chesterton was right when he said, the man who does not believe in God, the problem is not that he will believe everything. The problem is he will believe anything. They believe a lie. And then, in the name of tolerance, they demand that you believe it too. How do you like that? They're so tolerant that not only do they believe the lie, they demand that you believe it as well. What are you talking about, Pastor Greg? Oh, I don't know. This whole gender issue, bathroom thing, ring a bell? Believing a lie, demanding that society believe it as well. This is the state of our world. Our world is functioning with a futile, mind. And the fearful thing of it all is that it has risen through the ranks of leadership all the way to our Supreme Court. The futile mind. Go back and read Isaiah chapter 5 and 6. We are a nation destined for judgment. We're past the point of return. Past the point. It's not a matter of if we will be judged. I can make an argument, and I won't take the time this morning because I know the roast is in the oven. 
But I could make an argument that we are already now under the judgment of God. And what we are experiencing is merely the birth pangs of the greater judgment that is to come. We're already there. Already there. If God did not spare Israel, His chosen, His beloved people, from being overrun by the Babylonians and completely decimated for 2,000 years, why would a nation that is not singled out as the people of God think that they will get a pass? We will not. We are about a generation behind Western Europe in our debauchery. And even now, Western Europe is coming apart by the seams. There are areas you cannot travel to. Not unless you uh, have a death wish. They believe a lie. They demand you believe it as well. In the name of tolerance, they castigate and ostracize all who disagree. This is the state of our world. A world functioning with a feudal mind, fully immersed in the domain of darkness, under the sway of the evil one. Isaiah 5 and 20 says that we've come to the point now where they call evil good and good evil. They substitute darkness for light and light for darkness. They substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. It's a heavy, sobering, saddening reality. That is the world we live in. But aren't you glad that even though we're in the world, we're not of the world? I said it last week, I'll say it again. There's a difference between your boat being in the water and water being in your boat. (laughs) We are in the world, but we are not of the world. And so while the world is enslaved in the domain of darkness, living out of a feudal mind, God has rescued His people and transferred our citizenship from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light. And now rather than living with a feudal mind, His desire is that we live with a fertile mind. And it's on that happy note that I'm going to end our study for today. And next week, we're going to talk about the blessing of living with a fertile mind. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that even when we deal with heavy, sobering issues, issues that are weighty, issues that are anything but light and and, uh, airy, that even when we deal with those heavy issues, we can do so with the hope that is born in Your Word. A hope that does not fail. A hope that never leaves us shameful. But a hope that gives us a reason to get up in the morning. I pray, Father, that as we ponder these things and You bring them back to our remembrance over the days ahead, that You will help us to be encouraged knowing that while we are in the world, we are not of the world. We've been freed from the futility of an empty mind. And in its place, you have given us the freedom and the privilege of living with a fertile mind. A mind that is fruitful. 
Heavenly Father, I pray as we leave this place in a few moments and go out into this world that has in so many regards become mad, you will help us to share the truth of your word in a spirit of love and concern that we will share it with sensitivity, but we will share it nonetheless. Help us, Lord, to be willing to stand for righteousness, but to do so in a way that is winsome, in a way that begs people to listen. And then we ask, Lord, that you would not only give us those opportunities, but that you would put your word in our mouth. And now, Father, as we return unto you a portion of that which you've blessed us with in the form of these offerings, we pray that you would bless them, multiply them for your use, and give us the wisdom to know how best to invest them in the work of your kingdom. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you give to the work of the Lord.